I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Dark greetings, Kiki. Good evening. Uh, we are starting spooky season, and we are starting it with a bang with what we do in the shadows. This is our first FX series I think we're doing for the show. Yeah. This now opens the floodgates, and people are going to ask us to do Archer. I just know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I had mentioned that uh, it wasn't until D23 this year that I had thought about it. Sh- shout out to our, our good friend, Lindsay, uh, who... Yeah. Lindsay Carosa, who yeah. from, uh, from Solar Opposites, who got her own panel. We forgot to mention that. Yeah, and uh, when she was posting her her pictures from her time at D23, she posed next to the Solar Opposites poster. And next to it was a poster of what we do in the shadows. And I went, oh, man, of course, that's. That's on FX, which is now owned by Disney. And so now, and now a cornerstone of, of Hulu too. Yeah, it's it's also a cor- cornerstone of, of Hulu uh, as it it airs there the the next day. Yeah, it didn't even occur to me that of course FX is now part of the the Disney staple. And the only thing they didn't buy was Fox News and Fox Sports, so everything else is now. In. Yeah, those those are actually separate companies. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but yeah, yeah, that it was really cool because I I do love this this series. It is in that that same vein. I mean, we've mentioned it before a few times when we've talked about both Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi uh, in their work with other Disney things. The original film that this is based on was possibly the first thing I ever saw Taika do as far as an actor, I think. I had seen his his name maybe because of his work on the the Flight of the Concords TV series. Jermaine, I had known from his work with Flight of the Concords. We've mentioned that before. But they had done the film as an independent New Zealand film back in 2014. It was kind of slightly more difficult for me to find at the time. So I had to go hunt it down when I heard about it as a thing that they had done together in New Zealand. Uh, it was like, well, he had, it, Jermaine had done this weird mockumentary film about vampires with his friend Taika. And I thought, well, you know, okay. 
oh, I'll go see what that's about. And it took me a while to hunt it down because it wasn't super well distributed over here. But it was one of those things that if you're in the, the right sort of fandom, you started to hear about. And both the horror fandom and the comedy fandom had started talking about this film. Eventually I found it and watching that original film, which unfortunately is not owned by Disney or we'd just be talking about that right now. It was so funny of this idea of a documentary crew that follows these vampires who live in Wellington <laughs> in an apartment together and try to pretend they're not vampires and are just really bad at it. And then years later, I heard that after Taika got the big successes that he did with Ragnarok and with uh, Jojo Rabbit and after Jermaine got his bigger successes especially after like Moana and stuff. People were really into turning that idea into a series. In uh, 2019, bringing this idea into the American market, and it's the, it's the exact same idea in theory as the film, it's a group of vampires who live in a house together and they're having a documentary made about their life, except it's a little more like the office, I guess. Obviously a completely different set of characters. Yeah. And this one's set in, in New York as opposed to, to New Zealand. Oh yeah. Well, we're, yeah, we're on Staten Island. Yeah. So we're, we're on Staten Island and we're following four vampires uh in this one that three of them are immigrants from Europe and traditional vampires and traditional vampires and then one of them is a new type of vampire that was not present in the original movie Watching it as a fan of the original movie, that was the one that I was like, this is the most brilliant addition to this series. The <laughs> energy vampire. Yeah, the, the energy vampire Colin Robinson. As That's a unique concept, though. A vampire that doesn't get suck blood, but suck emotion. Well, it yeah, it's not a, it's not an idea unique to the series. Because it's one of those things that is just sort of out there in the world. I mean, I'm, I, 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 and I've said this when we talked about it last week. I've never seen the original film. And I, this is the first time of me watching the series. So yeah. the concept of an energy vampire. Someone who is, you know, we've heard the term before. And but it's mostly revert, re referring to someone who just annoys the hell out of you. But this thing is that's his literal reason for existence is he will annoy people and feed off their emotions. <laughs> yeah, and the the idea of taking that 
generic term and making it extremely literal in the series was such a stroke of genius. And, of course, making him a daywalker. Yeah. The cool thing about it, though, is that I love that it is the traditional kind of what we've talked about with Taika Waititi's work in general. And this carries over from the film, which is all that stuff you think would be really cool is actually kind of weird and mundane and kind of goofy and also extremely bisexual. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is the guy that gave us the gay vampires, the gay pirates, gay Norse gods. Which, in fairness to him... All of those things are originally very gay. He's just kind of reminding us of that. I mean, just like, if you go back and, and look at all the origination of all these things, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just, you know. But he's just kind of reminding us that if all these things ex existed in the real world, well, I mean, pirates do exist. But, you know, if if the kind of mythological versions of, uh, of the things existed... Like, it, it would just kind of be boring and mundane. And that that idea with vampires is just so very funny. And it's also, you know, the vampires adjusting to modern life. Like, modern technology, modern dress. Yeah. Which, which, to be fair, three of them don't. Which is a one of the funnier jokes from the original film is there is a prolonged scene of the vampires trying to go out for a night on the town in the original movie and uh, Taika and Jemaine's characters trying to dress up for the evening but the problem is is that they don't go shopping they just get their clothing from their victims and so their clothing is just hundreds of years of random bits of clothing that also has bloodstains on it in various places <laughs> that they're just kind of mixing and matching various bits of fashion from random centuries and decades and <laughs> and trying to put together what they think will look cool. And none of it matches the modern era. And then they go out, try to go clubbing, thinking that they look cool and fashionable and modern. And it it, it is as hilarious as as you think it would be. Um, and, and also bloodstained because it's clothing from their victims. They do better with it in the in the TV series, but it is the idea of vampires think whatever the clothing of their century looked cool because they are the ultimate old person who is still stuck in their decade, you know, the ultimate boomers. Well, it is, you know, but it, it's not just, you know, not to just pick on any one 
generation, it happens to everyone as they as they age, you know? What you think is cool kind of just does freeze in time. And so you see it with each of the of the vampires that you know Nandor does have this kind of medieval conqueror kind of vibe to his look and you know Nadja is a bit more progressive in her dress but she still does have all this kind of petticoats and lace and all that kind of stuff and then you know the the youngest of the the three traditional vampires there with Laszlo um he does have his you know 300 year old British sensibility about him He's, his fashion is the one most likely to come back, honestly. Yeah, but it, he still, you know, immediately it's kind of like, well, 300-year-old British fop kind of, you know, thing to him. But it is really funny of, of all of them that they have. Interestingly... Colin Robinson is the one that, that that has kept up with the times the most, even though he's like a hundred years old, he is sort of boring modern office dress. Because he works at a boring modern office. He's the only one of them that actually interacts with the outside world on a daily basis. Yeah, so even though he's not fashionable, he is at least modern in his dress and not the dress from you know 50 or 60 years ago but just the most boring version of current fashion which plays into his powers yeah so it, it really is kind of funny there but it is really fascinating the way that they've taken the original conceit of the film which was that this one group of vampires had given an a documentary crew permission to make a film about them and now it's just kind of an ongoing an ongoing series and they do make constant reference to the fact of well we're just constantly being followed around by a documentary crew and it's weird to other vampires they meet but everybody just kind of goes like yeah okay you've got a reality series being made about you we we get it you know and this is right in the you know like you said the office parks and rec modern Modern family Family. yeah yeah the the abc muppets tv series yeah it is such a good idea bec- that they hit on right at the right time and everybody involved just kind of does so well. In the first season, Jemaine and Taika were very involved in writing and directing that first season. And then as it went on they were a little less involved especially Taika um Jermaine still 
does a lot of um, directing and sometimes he'll still write an episode, um, but they're more just kind of in the executive producer kind of roles. I mean, Tuck has kind of got his hands full these days with other projects. Yeah, but I mean, and and both of them do because Jermaine's moved on to other stuff as well. But he'll still he'll still come back. He's he uh, would still come back and direct an episode in like the second season. But I don't think any of the, either of them came back and and did uh, any writing or directing for the last uh, season. The series really got a lot of popularity really at the early pandemic. Because people were inside, you know, they they just were, they had no, nothing to do and nowhere to go. And, you know, they just, this thing just exploded as people were watching this on Hulu. Yeah, and it's a really good binge watch because there's, you know, it's about 30 minutes an episode. And, uh, you know, about 10 episodes a season. So you can rush through it pretty quickly it's also a really good coherent story it had been a while since i had seen the early episodes like the season one stuff for the rewatch and going back and watching some of the stuff that's even mentioned in the pilot and going oh man that is still coming back in like season four like some of that stuff is is still a going concern even in the most recent episode so if you're looking for something that's really hilarious but also really into its own lore that this is this is a show for you because it will it will not forget a single throwaway line kind of reminds me of the orville in that way it's a little bit like that, yeah, but also um, it really gives the actors a lot of control. A lot of this stuff is apparently ad-libbed, like they will have a basic structure, but a lot of the individual lines are ad-libbed, especially with uh, Matt Berry's stuff as Laszlo. Because he is very well known for his ad-libbing on his previous series. Um, And we we had talked how how Taika tends to let his actors kind of wing it when when the time calls for it. Yeah, so that started very early on because the the pilot was written by Jermaine and directed by Taika. So the, the very first episode was kind of that team the actors that they got were well known in their previous careers for being able to just do do that and they have been given a lot of leeway to guide where their characters go and sometimes when the writing staff really likes what the actors come up with it becomes a major core part of the character and will become a massive plot line sometimes a couple of seasons later and 
you will sometimes hear the actors go, I was really surprised to see that come up in a script, you know, in season three, because that was legitimately just a random thing I said off the cuff in an ad lib that I never even expected to make it into the episode, much less become a massive plot line later on. That is is pretty hilarious to me. Some of the stuff that becomes really important to this series that was never even intended to make it into the episode. While we're while we're talking about that, do you want to get into our our cast itself? Yeah. Let, let's get into our cast. Uh, let's let's start let's start with our let's start with our. I guess you say the main character, Nandor. At least as far as the, uh, the episodes that I've seen go so far. Well, yeah, I'm not sure that you can really call any of the the group in the house the main character because it really does kind of give them equal time throughout the series. Mm. But yeah, Nandor is the oldest of the group. Um, and the only one of the main cast we've actually talked about before, because he's the only one of the actors that has actually shown up in something else that we've talked about before. Um, but yeah, uh, Nandor the Relentless is played by Kyvan Novak. Um, he was probably best known, uh, over in England for a series called Phone Jacker, which I have not seen, but I think the best that I can kind of explain it to an American audience is if you remember the Comedy Central series Crank Yankers. <laughs> it just really seemed to be that he would call up people and do prank calls using different voices. He is an incredible impressionist. In fact, the voice he uses for Nandor, he said, started out as one of his phone jacker voices. Hmm. And he just kind of expanded it a little bit. He also was in a, um, a British film that I had heard of uh, before... I had never heard of Phone Jacker until actual until after I had looked into him for uh, what we do in the shadows. But I had heard of the film um, Four Lions, which was sort of like a satire film about um, dealing with the idea of uh, terrorism and, and stuff in the UK. Uh, so it really made a big splash when it, it came out. And so I remember the conversation about the, that film when it came out, he, uh, came up on the show before because he played Roger Dearly in the film Cruella. So that's, that's where we've talked about him before on the show. He is so absolutely hilarious as Nandor. I just, I have fallen in love with his portrayal. Um, the one that kind of got me when they were like, oh, they're doing what we do in the shadows 
series and I was like, are they bringing back any of the original cast? They were like, no, but they have Matt Barry. And I was like, okay, I'm immediately sold on this series. <laughs> because I have been a fan of Matt Barry's for a while now. Matt Barry has had several series um, over in England that people might know of. Uh, probably a lot of people would know him from the IT crowd. I knew him first from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is one of those things that if you ever come up to me and be like, I am a big fan of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, that's one of those things that's like, okay, we can be friends now because <laughs> you are exactly on my level of humor because that is one of those shows that you either immediately get the humor of that show or it is going to absolutely baffle you. There is no middle ground. There is no, you watch it and you occasionally laugh or what it is either the funniest thing you have ever seen, or it is the most baffling thing you have ever seen. <laughs> there is there. It, it's, it's, it's one or the other. It's absolutely full on hilarious, or it is just the worst thing you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> um but he was he was on um he did one called the toast of london that was hilarious he was on the mighty boosh i mean just the guy is incredible but uh every time he pops up on something i'm like okay this is this is going to be my new favorite thing now um i'm stopping everything cuz matt matt berry's doing a new thing so he was the thing that originally sold me on the show more of more than just they're they're doing a TV series of what we do in the shadows. So like that and Matt Barry, I was like, okay, sold. His thing of Laszlo every single week that an episode airs, Matt Barry will trend on Twitter, and it's just because of how he says a particular word each week. Like one week it was just for how he said the word camera. Shut up. We're doing a piece to camera. <laughs> Everybody found it so funny that Twitter that week just shared that like one line. Or the the way hey. he pronounces Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's become a running gag that every single new episode of what we do in the shadows just has like what word Matt Perry pronounces weird that particular week <laughs> is the trending thing on Twitter that week. Um, the other of the old world vampires is Laszlo's wife, Nadja, um, who is played by Nastasia Dimitru, but uh, she is the one that I kind of was like, okay, I've never seen her in anything, but let's figure out where she came from because she is amazing. I really am one of those ones that just, I've, I, I don't know why, but I have not particularly run across her in anything else except she will occasionally show up 
on um, panel shows that I watch sometimes, like 8 out of 10 cats or whatever. She was the host of something called The Big Flower Fight, (laughs) which is kind of like Great British Bake Off, except for flower arranging. Okay. It is exactly what it sounds like. Um, so but she is wonderful and adorable and hilarious and uh, I I enjoy her when she shows up I just kind of wish she was in more things that I that I see she's um, apparently in the Cuphead show for Netflix yeah which I haven't gotten to see yet I need to it's on my like watch list and I just haven't gotten around to it yet And then the fourth of our vampires, Colin Robinson, is played by Mark Pruch. Um, He is in a lot of different stuff, including The Office. He's on Better Call Saul. If you're an Adult Swim fan, he shows up in DreamCorp LLC. Like I said, he is the the one that was kind of the surprise to everybody who knew the original film because you were not expecting Colin Robinson. The pilot even sets it up as in, here's our three vampires, and then all of a sudden Colin Robinson just walks in later on in the episode (laughs) and it was like oh here's here's the twist um and he is just so excellent in the role um and immediately kind of became everybody's favorite vampire character i think just from the idea that it was so bizarre but i think out of the main cast, I think it's I, I don't think I'm gonna ruffle anybody's feathers when I say that everybody's favorite character in the main cast is Guillermo de la Cruz, the only human in the cast. Nandor's familiar played by Harvey Guillen. This was the one that was like kind of took everybody by surprise because you you don't really expect the familiar to be everybody's favorite character. Um, I, I think it's because his 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 story and yeah, I mean we'll get, we'll get into evolves. it, yeah. but but his his story is uh is kind of compelling to a, a lot of the sort of people who would watch this show, you know. And I think, uh, I think it's anyone who's been in a position of, I got this position to move up and I'm never going to move up. And I think that a lot of people would would uh, resonate with, you know, would sympathize with Guillermo because they're in the same position in real life, whether it's at their job or whatever, you know? Yeah. But uh, Harvey, if, if you knew him prior to... Uh, his role as Guillermo, you might have seen him uh, playing Benedict on The Magicians um, or in the movie The Internship with 
uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. But uh, he also just recently is playing Nightwing over on the Harley Quinn TV series. So uh, doing that voice over there. So that is kind of our, our main cast where we're going to bring up some of the, the major cameos as we go through the, the plot here. Um, just fair, fair warning. Uh, you know, definitely spoilers for everything in season one. We may mention some things that happen all, all the, all the way up through season four though. So, you know, be, be warned, <laughs> be warned. Uh, we will be just talking about the show in general. So if you're if you're intrigued by the concept and you're like, oh my god, you know, it doesn't take that long to to binge it, you know, stop the episode here, come back to us in a week when you're caught up. We we can wait. I'd rather I'd rather you enjoy the the twists and turns of the show. But if you're a fan of the show and want to hear our our stuff, go go ahead. Um, We'll we'll try to keep it to to season one as much as possible, but can't can't guarantee something might not slip out from later on in the series. So be warned. You're you're the one you're the one that that had your your first kind of introduction to the show here. Uh, so I wanna I wanna get your thoughts on. Uh, what your your first opinion of it was as you were watching this pilot? Um, very interesting. It's you know, uh, it's a nice start with you know uh, Nandor. They're trying to have the big grand entrance, and then the coffin is just stuck. <laughs> All right, that tells you everything. This is t- this is going to tell you the mood of this series, and I like that. Yeah, with with Guillermo trying to to set the tone for the the documentary crew of like come into our spooky house with the spooky vampires and then Nandor being like the coffin lid is stuck get the butter knife you know and then and then you know Kiermo is is so desperately trying to be like yes master very very scary you're very imposing good good job. And you know we we mentioned it. Let's 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 talk about Guillermo's story because he seems to be the one that has the most interesting one. In that we see him as as a child that he that he was intrigued by the movie Interview with the Vampire. More specifically, uh, Antonio Banderas's character. Yeah, Ar- it, Armand. Yeah, because it was the first time he'd ever seen a Latino vampire. And. That started his love of vampires and his want to be a vampire. And that is why he is with with Nandor, because he, Nandor, you know, as a familiar, he will eventually become a vampire, which itself becomes a running gag in the series as he meets other fami- familiars of varying ages who each say, oh, yeah, my, my master will turn me into a vampire any day now. And a lot of them are, you know, some of them are in their 70s. And they're like, yeah, I, I've been serving my master for 50 years now. Next year, I'm going to be a vampire, you know. 
even Nandor will say, hey, you know, you, you messed up today. That's, that's one more year of service before I make you a vampire. Yeah. Well, by the time we meet Guillermo, he has been serving Nandor for 10 years. And Guillermo is, you know, what, in his 20s, maybe early 30s. It's kind of hard to. Uh, I would say early 30s because he mentions having a job at Panera Bread prior to being a, fam a familiar. Yeah, and uh, I think at one point they say he was uh, born in the early 90s. So, yeah. It it originally starts, starts out for Guillermo that all he wants is just to do his job and do it well, which he does. We see multiple times that Guillermo goes over and above. Especially with the, the the disposing of the bodies after the other vampires feed. Yeah, he he even says at the at the beginning that he's not a murderer, he just finds people who are easy to murder. <laughs> Which is such a great line. But you see how he's really given up his kind of morality and his family and everything to be a familiar in hopes that he will be a vampire. And uh, at least as, a, as his first season move, moves on, his, 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 his morale lowers as, the, as he sees the other familiars and their varying ages and Especially how they're treated by other vampires, and his his he he himself even says he's less Armand and more Renfield, and it's 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 getting to him. And also, he sees at several points during the season how disposable familiars are. I mean, uh, Laszlo and Nadja go through quite a few familiars throughout the course of of the first season alone. Yeah. And, you know, just minor spoiler, after the first season, they never get another familiar. I mean, after after your first familiar is eaten by the Baron and your other familiar is killed because you have a cursed hat, maybe you want to hold off on getting any more familiars. It's not even that. It's just that Guillermo is a really competent familiar and he just becomes the familiar for the house. And they start putting more and more on him. It's less that they do. Because, you know, the, the, the old world vampires have been around for hundreds of years. So that was not their first familiar. Because familiars are just human. They get old and they die. There is nothing magical or special about the typical familiar. So vampires are used to getting you see throughout the series the vampires are just used to like oh there's that familiar you get another familiar you know literally treating them like pets yeah and so or worse than that because most humans actually give a crap about their pets um we do, we do see that nandor seems to care about guillermo in yeah, moments in uh, moments there there i i will just tell you that uh the a large majority, let's say, of the fandom are Nandor Gear shippers. <laughs> mm, sure, I can see it. 
I can see it. It becomes more apparent as the series goes on. But, uh, um, speaking only as someone who's only seen the first yeah. season. Um, you know, Nandor it, it, seems it's to care a, about, It's a running thing throughout yeah. the series. Um, you know, Nandor, you know, he feels bad that he hurt uh, Guillermo's feelings, so he tries to make it up to him. He even calls him his friend, which he immediately takes back. Like, ugh, no, no, no. Yeah. That doesn't sound right. Forget I said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it 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 gets more complex and strange and let's just say complex. The idea of of Guillermo or as Laszlo eventually ends up calling him Gizmo. Laszlo <laughs> uh, cannot pronounce Guillermo, so he just calls him Gizmo. The idea though of of Guillermo and his place in the house and his place in the world is eventually kind of the main crux of the series to the point where you kind of feel like screw the world as long as Guillermo is okay and and and, and like I said you know Guillermo can anyone who's been in a position like Guillermo's in real life can identify with that because, you know, you get a job and you're said if you work hard and go above and beyond, you'll get that promotion. And you never do. Because it's just a bait and switch. You know, they're, they're, they're dangling that carrot in front of you and then they'll take it away. And that's kind of where Guillermo is. He wants to be a vampire. He's been promised this. And it gets dangled in his face over and over again, and finally, and it gets gets keep getting taken away. The fascinating thing about this series is that vampires, as the modern literary concept of vampires, were originally a sort of commentary on the aristocracy. And the the wealthy in general, and how they bled dry the lower classes and the working man. Now, especially in the American context, we don't have a traditional aristocracy in the European sense. But what we do have is the kind of CEO boss class. And that is exactly the sort of drain that is done today, you know? And you are correct to pick up on it and why Guillermo resonates with people because that is exactly how the vampire story is resonant today is it's not so much kind of the landed aristocratic you know gentry kind of taking the farmland and bleeding dry the peasantry so much as kind of just the one douchey boss that keeps going like work really hard and you'll get that promotion you know 
Work really hard and you'll be one of us someday. If you work really hard, you can one day be the vampire that has a familiar working for you. And instead, what does Guillermo get? Well, he doesn't get that. He just gets to work harder for a larger number of vampires. And see his promotion given to somebody else. Well, that was originally supposed to be the idea, is that we've got this side story of the the little LARPer girl, Jenna, who was played by Beanie Feldstein. And the idea was supposed to be that she was supposed to be a recurring character for longer and then she went off and got kind of a little bigger career. She got some some other parts that she wanted to go and do instead. Just finished her run on Broadway and Funny Girl. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's a that's whole other thing. Yeah, that's well, that's been the more recent thing. Was was what I was going to say, but she had gotten like a movie part, I think, just then, and she wanted to go pursue that rather than this kind of um, secondary uh, part on this show. Uh, like it was originally, she wasn't going to be like a main character. Uh, she had decided that the film roles that she had gotten were where she wanted to put her energy. But the uh, the idea was that Jenna was going to be the counterpoint to Guillermo, the, the person who just kind of wandered in and got everything he wanted and had worked hard for just by accidentally being in the right place at the right time because she was this... LARPer, you know, Guillermo is told to go out and find virgin blood as a sacrifice. For the Baron, yeah. For the Baron, this VIP that's coming into town. And he goes out and he finds a couple of of LARPers in the park. And he finds two of them that he's talking to and questions them, finds out that two of them are virgins. And one of them is immediately eaten. And then uh, Jenna is uh, transformed by Nadja because Nadja takes pity on her because she is being bullied. Nadja does not take kindly to that. And even though Nadja is one of Guillermo's biggest bullies in the in the series especially at the start she has more empathy for jenna as a woman than she does for guillermo as a man so she decides to give jenna the power to hurt the men who have been bullying her and she's kind of screws it up because she it's completely sucks at being a vampire. Yeah, and she just in instead of understanding the power she has, she kind of just goes a little overboard with it. Um, and we never really get the resolution to her story because of what happened behind the scenes with the actor. But I mean, it, she can turn invisible. She's probably still there. 
Well, yeah, I mean, she's she's lurking around out there somewhere, and maybe if the actor ever wants to come back, we can get the the rest of the story before the end of the series. But, you know, she has the problem with when she transforms into a bat, it's never quite fully into a bat, so she's just this hideous kind of half-and-half half creature, and, you know. But she does have the really awesome power of turning invisible, which could be great if she ever learns how to use it properly. Which plays into her character because everyone already sees her as invisible. You know, no one pays attention to her. She's already invisible. Yeah. She really just is there plot-wise as a counterpoint to Guillermo, who it has worked so hard and long for this promotion, as you say just to see it being tossed away on somebody who is bad at it, you know, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't put in the time, hasn't put in the study, hasn't, you know. You know, going back to Guillermo for just a moment, at the end of the first season, he finds out that he is a descendant of Van Helsing. Yeah, which you might have figured out a little bit from the fact that his name is Guillermo de la Cruz. <laughs> Maybe if Nandor spoke a little Spanish, <laughs> might have might have had a little bit of a hint that maybe you don't want to familiar with that kind of religious last name, you know? Yeah. So that also <laughs> brings up some some come some conflict within him. He wants to be a vampire. He still wants to be a vampire. But he's is descendant from vampire hunters. And he has shown that he does kill vampires, although he's killed as far as the first season is concerned, he's only killed vampires accidentally. Yeah. And, and a few screw ups here and there that may have killed that would have killed vampires in other circumstances. You know, it's like, oh, and, you know, by the end of the, of, the, of the season where he has these wooden snakes that he's throwing them away and they not they ram right into the portraits of the other three vampires like, oh, I did a bad thing. <laughs> Oopsie. Glad no one was here to see that. Yeah, while, I mean, you know, cover yours if you, if you, if you don't want, uh, minor spoilers, but, uh, his his genealogy does eventually become known to the vampires, and his skills do become known to them, and they they take him on as more of a bodyguard slash familiar because of some things that happen. the The good part of that, you know, the the one thing I will say is that it does give him some some confidence in in a later sense that he is competent that it's it's not an accident that he he is a a competent person and so it, it there is a little bit of character growth there in in the sense of you know i i do have something within me and i think that's why a lot of people have fallen so in love with the character because let's face it from a representation standpoint, it is not every day that 
you get to see a Latino man with his particular body type get to be that kind of competent, self-possessed action hero, let's say. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in later seasons, Guillermo gets to do some stunts. And uh, and they let they let Harvey get to do some stunts. I mean, there's there's some behind the scenes footage of, you know, him him getting to to do those scenes, you know, and practicing with weapons and things like that. So it's it's really cool to see that that's kind of open and it's this is where it it starts is from the like wait wait a minute you know is that is that what's in my heritage i i like that it's not forgotten about and eventually becomes a, a major part of his his personality is that no wait i can i can actually own this it's not it's not a bad part of me it's actually a a good part of me and i can respect vampires and love vampires and you know use it as positive i guess we can move on from that because i want to talk about our love story this season our recurring love story of naja and gregor (laughs) yeah so Gregor was a lover of Nadja's many, many years ago. That died mysteriously while being beheaded, but he constantly gets reincarnated and gets back together with Nadja, only to die again and again and again. And in the modern day, she has found him. Now going by Jeff, and they they, they go out on a few dates, but she finds him kind of boring. Kinda, you know, he's 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 not Gregor. So she unlocks his memories of his past life. Kind of turns him insane. I mean, imagine the you today, and then every memory of every life you've ever lived rushing into your brain all at once. That can't be healthy. <laughs> Oh well, but uh, I do love the how how this whole thing wraps up. By the time we get to the end of the season, is that while she does love Laszlo, she also loves Gregor, and she kind of sings this song about about Gregor, how she wants to be with Gregor, and it somehow summons him to break out of the asylum, go to her, and profess his love to her all over again. And then we find out that it's it's been Laszlo. Laszlo knows who Gregor is and has always known who Gregor is. The face may change, but the sense stays the same. And every time Gregor gets anywhere near Naja, he ends permanently until the next life. And I like that 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 reveal at the end. It's it's you know like. Stay away from my wife. I told you to stay away from my wife, and I'm going to make sure you stay away from my wife. But, but I mean, he, 
even at the end, you know, Najee even said, hey, you know, you know, let him have one life, one complete life before. Don't kill him this time. He'll you know, just stay away from him. Thing. <laughs> it's, you know, like, again, the fact that Laszlo listens to Najee and spares Gregor, Jeff, only for Jeff to run into a metal wire and decapitate himself. It was meant to be. I mean, unfortunately, that seems to be his fate in every life, is to die by beheading while trying to pursue Naja. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not the greatest existence. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes their fates are sealed. Laszlo himself, we find out he has other interests, including botany. He creates topiary sculptures of the, um, how am I saying this on a PG podcast? The, 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 the female area of the various women that he has loved. Including <laughs> Naja, including Nancy Reagan. But most importantly... Well, she was known for some things. She was, she was known for some things, so you, sure. <laughs> and his mother. But interestingly, this is also how we find out that uh, he was Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Because several of the bits are bits of uh, ladies of the evening that he he knew in uh, Whitechapel <laughs> in uh, in a particular time. Of note, yeah, no, it's uh that that is that is one of the big reveals of of the series is that Laszlo was in fact Jack the Ripper, and which 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 brings us to uh, the rivalry with the werewolf clan. So as as one of his topiaries, particularly the topiary of his mother's private area thinks of werewolf urine as a clan of werewolves has been using his his topiaries as bathrooms because hard job yeah and this for the people who haven't seen the movie this is a carryover from the movie because the movie is has quite a large portion of it uh, is about the particular rivalry between the vampires in the film and the local werewolf group in Wellington. This particular storyline is a nod to the plot of the original film. They're they're just bringing back, well, what about the werewolves? <laughs> you know? I, I, I love that, that, that Nandor plays on the fact that they are part dog by defeating them by throwing a chew toy off a building. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to have one-on-one combat. The werewolf choose, chooses to use fangs and claws as his weapon. Nandor chooses a doggy bone. <laughs> and as soon as he pulls it out, all of the other were like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Resist, but resist, resist. Yeah. I mean, he could have used a dog whistle. That's, that would have been cold-blooded, though. 
Well, I mean, but what's that going to do? It's just unless he flew off the roof and then used the dog whistle to call. I mean, that it would have been a similar joke, but he would have, you know. The thing is, though, is that it takes a little longer for the joke to land when you when you have the like, what's he going to do with the dog bill? And then you see him throw it and you're like. Oh, because it just goes over the boy. roof, <laughs> and then the, the werewolf goes flying off the roof trying to get it. And they're like, "No!" Um, we we see werewolves again later in the series. You know, it's it, it, a few things in the series are kind of just gone, gone. You know, so I, I think kind of the only thing that's completely disappeared from the series at this point is kind of the Jenna storyline, you know, and that's just because she's unavailable. <laughs> yeah. The, the actor is unavailable, but kind of everything that they've ever mentioned before the, the you mentioned the cursed witch's hat already that Laszlo has that thing is still an ongoing plot point as of season four. <laughs> And not just, like, an in-the-background that they mention it, but, like, a massive plot point that is getting episodes dedicated to it still in season four. <laughs> now that you brought it up, let's, 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 talk about, let's talk about this little plot point here, at least as far as season one is concerned. Yeah. So, the Baron, we'll get to the whole Baron thing in a moment, but I want to get this one moment here. Yeah. The Baron is disappointed that uh, our clan, that vampires has not ruled the world yet. He is very old, old, old school. And he he wants Nandor and his team to start taking over the world. You know, we got to be in, we got to rule. So they decide, since they are technically the Staten Island vampires... That they will need to form an alliance with the other vampires in the other New York neighborhood, starting with Manhattan, where another vampire owns a nightclub, and they they try to negotiate some sort of a, a, agreement because hey, the Baron wants us to team up. Yeah, Simon the Devious. Yes, Simon the Devious is a whole intro where he played by Nick Kroll. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he his entrance where he shoots the 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 arrow on fire and catches it before it hits somebody. <laughs> it's a great entrance. So he so he go, he decides you know they all go to dress up and they all and since they really haven't gone out in about a hundred years, they go by the last time they went to the club, which requires capes and proper uh, old school vampire attire. Which they're properly kind of ridiculed for. <laughs> anyway, because no one wears capes anymore. Are you kidding? Yeah. So he decides to dress, uh, Laszlo decides to dress in his finest attire, including this hat made of witch's skin, which he got off a witch hunter that he killed, whose last words were, The hat is cool. Yeah, the hat is cool, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the hat is cursed. This is how this is how one of their familiars dies. They start he starts falling through the floor. Bad things starts to happen whenever someone is wearing the hat. It seems to be that as long as you're not wearing the hat, the curse is ineffective. But once someone actually has the hat on their head, 
bad things start to happen. Like Laszlo's cape gets caught in the taxi door. They're they're in they're caught in traffic trying to trying to get there and, and such and such and such and such. Before they finally get get the meeting and and, and start to discuss their their terms of uh, of this alliance uh to which simon says i will i will form this alliance with you in the name of the baron you have to give me your hat apparently they all came from the old country together on the boat and simon was always jealous that laszlo was always wearing that hat and he wants the hat this gaudy gaudy hat but simon wants it <laughs> So Lazarus agrees, and it's because they, they need this alliance, they need to impress the Baron. And then Simon just kicks him out. All I wanted was the hat, I don't care about ruling the world, I don't care about the Baron, I don't care about you. Get you and your ugly capes out of my club. And since the hat is cursed, he, shoots, he tries to do the fire arrow again, and burns his club down. <laughs> yeah. At which point, Laszlo finally admits that the hat may be cursed. And of course, as as the subplot of that episode being Guillermo meeting the other familiars and kind of seeing how bad they're treated, the first instance that we're hearing of a of a uh, familiars union. Yeah, and their most recent uh, win uh, in the union being that they have been allowed to have a bucket in the familiar room. To go to the bathroom in. Yeah. The, uh, the fact that one of the vampires has a cat as they're familiar, that actually yeah. made me smile. It's like, oh, okay. But that's a witch's familiar, not a vampire's familiar. Yeah. The thing is that uh, the cursed hat is such a good plot device because it just keeps coming up over and over and over again, including at the end of the episode when Laszlo gets it back because they find Simon lying in the in the hospital. And Laszlo goes, oh, my hat! And Guillermo is lying there too after an accident where Nandor dropped him while they were flying. Every time Laszlo puts the hat on, Guillermo flatlines. Uh, so eventually he's like, well, I'll just leave the head off for now. <laughs> Even Colin kind of gets a bit of a subplot with another emotional vampire named Evie. Yeah, played by Vanessa Bayer. From SNL, yeah. Yeah. And her powers are a little bit more advanced than Colin's in that she's an emotional vampire who feeds off pity and sorrow and sadness because she has all of these sad stories about parents and grandparents and children and pets dying that it just makes everyone around her sad and she feeds off that energy yeah colin's main power is that he bores people or annoys them yeah or sometimes he will annoy them but it's more common for him to just bore people um, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I like that he does is that he, you know, he 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 bangs on on uh, on Nandor's coffin in the morning, co just to annoy him, saying, "Well, that's my morning coffee." <laughs> yeah, 
because uh, it's explained in, in the first episode that energy vampires are the only kind of vampires that can take energy from other vampires. Yeah, and that's why he lives with the vampires, really, is that he can <laughs> he can feed off of them as well. Um, they feed off a human, he can feed off them. Yeah. The little subplot with Evie is kind of fascinating because not only do they team up for a while and they start dating. feed. Yeah, they, they start dating and they, they feed off of each other. I mean, they feed off of other people together. Um, but eventually, Evie starts feeding off of Colin. She starts feeding off of his emotions for her. And Colin has to break up with her. And she and she plays that up, too. She's like, Colin, please don't leave me. I love you. Oh, I'm just kidding. I would just need one more yeah. piece out of you. <laughs> yeah. But like she never really cared about him. She was just using him. But Vanessa Bayer plays it really well. It's a really good thing because when I was first watching the show, I didn't really believe the energy vampire joke. Like, I, I really just thought it was a joke. Like, oh, they're they're making a joke about the energy vampire thing. Like, there's just this really boring guy who lives with the vampires, and he survives being fed off of, like, he, he avoids being fed off of, and he gets free rent by convincing them he's a different type of vampire. But he's not really a vampire. Like, this, this guy is a con artist, basically. And I thought it was kind of funny because I'm like, this is a really good scam he's got going because he doesn't have to be a familiar like Guillermo. And he's not dinner. But he gets to just live in their house. So, yeah, so I didn't buy that the energy vampire thing was real until this episode. When we actually see him using, like, actual powers. His eyes glow. He starts to float. Yeah, I mean, there were there were little bits where, like, his eyes glowed in previous episodes and stuff. But, like, this one, like, his... He's actually, like, floating and, you know, he is battling with her and... They're t they're in a restaurant talking about we're eating right now, you know. So I was like, oh, they're they're me they they want this to be a supernatural creature. Okay, I just love that battle between them as she keeps on saying the saddest story there is, and he's counteracting with boring facts, and it's like she somehow turns that boring fact into a sad sob story. Yeah. I thought that, that that was kind of fascinating because, like I said, I I thought that it was funny, but I also thought it was going to be revealed that Colin Robinson was just a normal human being that was just scamming the, the vampires. And that maybe even Guillermo knew, but he wasn't going to rat the guy out. 
Like, yeah, totally. Energy vampire, it's a thing. And, like, maybe just Colin would, you know, slip him a hundred bucks every now and then to just keep up the ruse. Uh, I was kind of surprised when I was like, okay, they're really going, this is an actual supernatural creature. It's kind of fascinating how over the years they've taken the lore of the energy vampire. Um, Cause it gets really complex, but it, it is a, it is an interesting idea in the series. And one that I think is the most fascinating idea that they've, brought into it i think it's now is a good time to talk about the main i don't know if we'd call him an antagonist or what but the baron himself baron athanas played amazingly by doug jones we're talking about doug jones again yeah it's always a good day when you get to talk about doug jones just talked about him when in the shape of water uh, but the time this episode comes out, Hocus Pocus two will already be out when he's him he's in that. So yeah, Doug Jones just likes playing characters that wear lots of makeup. Uh. I mean, I I don't I don't know, I don't know if you can say like necessarily so much as it pays the bills. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's not comfortable, but it pays the bills. So as as I mentioned, the Baron is an old, old, old school vampire who believes that vampires are superior and should rule the world. He has that very Nosferatu appearance, more more bat than human, as it were. And he has no um, no male genitalia to speak of, but somehow has had a a, a long romantic affair with both Nadja and Laszlo. Yeah. It it is said repeatedly over the course of the series that the Baron can absolutely get it. And uh, as he says later, you know, the Baron name was a joke because B A R R E N because he has no genitalia. <laughs> Because he always wanted children. He cannot sire children. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, and he is the driving force through a lot of the stories in the series. Like like I mentioned, he is the one that says that they need to form alliances to take over the the New York area, to take over the world. He eventually decides that he, he, he wants to see the world. He ha- wants to see this, 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 this new world. Island. The, the new yeah. world. Yeah. He wants to see what the new world is like. This so, is his first time in the Americas. And he, he wants to see what it's all about. Uh, yeah. They want to, they go on a night, the, the, you know, Laszlo and, Naja and and Nandor and the Baron all go out on a night on the town. And they They do shots. They do (laughs) literally they 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 take a guy, a drain with blood and do shots, 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 yeah. Um but they are trying to keep their identities as vampires low key. Meanwhile, the Baron going, I am a vampire, you will fear me. 
And as Nadia said, there's only so many times you can say he's just joking before people start getting suspicious. But the point is, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to hide his identity. He wants to be out and about proud of being a vampire. But again, like, you know, which fair to him, but that's not really going to get him very far. Um, there's funny moments where he ends up drinking a drunk guy's blood, therefore he gets drunk. They all end up at a club and they drink uh, blood of people that have taken drugs, so they have drug blood in them. <laughs> they all have the effects of, of being on drugs. Uh, the Baron who wants to taste human food. Pizza pie, as he says. It is, it's said that Vampires cannot consume human food, but he wants to anyway. <laughs> and the pizza has garlic in it, projectile vomits all over the plates, and oh, that scene is hilarious. Yeah. The one that is really uh, interesting is that they they keep running into uh, Sean, the next door neighbor. Yeah, Sean is not a nice guy. He's very male chauvinistic. He, the first time we see him is he's, you know, he talks very negatively about his wife, and and Lazlo hates him because of that because he doesn't treat his wife right. Right, you know, your your wife should kill you, strangle you with your own sphincter. Well, yeah, we eventually meet his wife, who is uh, played by Marissa Jarrett Winoker, uh, and uh, she's very interesting. And you realize that she gives as good as she gets. Uh, and Sean is annoying, but he's not that awful. He and he and eventually Laszlo calls Sean his best friend. And, you know, I mean, the relationship grows. He is in the first season kind of very annoying. But he's he's just kind of you know he's the, the the he's New York guy you know yeah. he's he's the guy who lives next door and is very New York you know he keeps running into to the Baron and the vampires in general as they do various things and constantly gets his memory erased because the Baron's trying to eat him. <laughs> well, no, I mean just. Throughout the series, it's kind of a, a running gag of how often this poor guy gets his memory erased. That, that's got to cause some level of brain damage. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it does. We do see over the course of the series that, that that memory erasure thing will very quickly turn a human mind to Swiss cheese if you do it too much. The interesting thing is, is that both the Baron and the the group of vampires from the house kind of both admit that they had considered killing each other before their night out, but they end the night kind of good good friends. They you know they want to continue in their quest to take over the world. Unfortunately. By the point of their night out, the the vampires have only been able to take over about five houses in Staten Island. Two blocks. They take over yeah. two blocks of Staten Island. Yeah, <laughs> well, and of course of the first season. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
their their plans are not very good because as these things go in a series created by uh, Jermaine and Taika, they're they're not terribly competent at what they're attempting to do. And to be honest, neither is the Baron. As you learn the backstories of each of the characters, you realize that, no, they were always like this. When you hear Nandor's stories about his conquests, you realize, like, oh, yeah, no, you were you were always a screw-up, you know? When you hear Laszlo tell stories about, you know, his village, or when you hear uh, Nadja tell stories about her life, previous you're like oh yeah even as humans you were like this you're um, just idiots <laughs> yeah it's like you're you you were always kind of useless all of you it is kind of like that when you hear the baron talk about his life a little bit too there are a few things the baron says about his previous existence in the few times that we see him that you're like, oh, yeah, you you aren't really good at at much, except for the fact that the Baron can totally get it. Like that's that's kind of the one place where he excels. You know, he he comes he comes to them and he's like, why haven't you taken over the world yet? And the way that the vampires treat him is kind of like, oh no, it's the Baron, ah. But once he gets there, and once you actually find out a little more about him, you're like, oh, he is also a screw-up. Just like everybody else in this world, this is yet another bisexual screw-up. Welcome to Taika Waititi's world where everyone is a bisexual screw-up. It's not like, why haven't you taken over the world? I would have done that had I been here. No, he he wouldn't have done it either. He's he's just a blowhard that wandered in being like, why haven't you done the thing? I would have done the thing. No, you wouldn't have. You would have also screwed it up because you're exactly that same type of dude. Um, so after their night out and they're still under the effects of the drug blood that they drank. We um, drank some humans. They were on drugs. Therefore, we are on drugs. <laughs> so... So they you know, they end up partying all night. Sun's coming up. They need to get home. And it looks like, you know, it looks like it's going to be a good night. Everyone goes to their coffin. Everyone's fine. Or or they're, they're about to. They're about to. And then earlier in the episode, Nandor tells Guillermo to get roses to pretty up the house for the Baron. He finally arrives with the roses, opening the door. And killing the Baron with sunlight. <laughs> well, he thought they would all be in their coffins by that point. They're, yeah, everybody's usually in bed. The Fair sun's enough. coming up. Don't you know where you're supposed to be? He didn't know they were all going to be blitzed out of their minds just standing around chatting. The one time he leaves them alone. Yeah. But because of the Baron's rank within the vampire world, he's a screw-up, but he's still a high-ranking screw-up. The Vampire Council puts them on trial for the murder of the Baron. And this is cameo... You want, you know, we talked about the Deadpool cameo to the movie. 
This is cameos the episode. This is the point where you're like, you called everyone in your phone book, didn't you? The funny thing about this episode is that they have the Vampire Council. And the Vampire Council is made up of actors who have played vampires in other things. We actually get Taika, Jermaine, and Jonathan Bruh reprising their roles from the movie. But we also get Tilda Swinton, Wesley Snipes, Danny Trejo, Evan Rachel Wood, and Paul Rubens. Essentially reprising their characters from whatever vampire movies they were in. Yeah. And shouts out to other actors who have played vampires, including Kiefer Sutherland, who apparently was actually offered a role in this episode, but turned it down. (laughs) And Tom and Brad, who just couldn't make it. Um, you know, and I mean, it's so many, so many jokes, you know. The, the, my favorite gag is, you know, Wesley Snipes, who is Skyping in, um, probably because of his legal issues, but uh, none of the vampire council like him because he's a half vampire and a vampire killer. So it's like, he's just playing Blade. <laughs> yeah, it, it was... And the thing is, they didn't have the they didn't have the rights to the names for any of the characters they played, so they're just all using their real first names. So it's Paul Rubens is Paul, Tilda Swinton is Tilda, Wesley yeah. is Wesley, uh, Evan Rachel Wood is Evan, and Danny Trejo is Danny. But they are acting like and similarly looking to their respective vampire characters. <laughs> Yeah, the the funny thing is, is that this this super duper duper annoys me on a personal level as somebody who both loves the movie that's getting shouted out and the one actor that's that hasn't like gotten the credit here. Tilda Swinton is the leader of the Vampire Council as a shout out to Only Lovers Left Alive. Just recently in season four, there's a joke where Jim Jarmusch shows up in a vampire club as a joke in the the series, which is also a shout out because he was the director of Only Lovers Left Alive. So I've just got to ask, why the absolute hell has Tom Hiddleston not made a cameo in this show yet? (laughs) As the other person in Only Lovers Left Alive. Like, why have we just not gotten our vampire cameo yet from this? Like, if we've gotten Tilda and we've gotten Jim to make cameos on this show, like... Come on, man! <laughs> um, But, yeah, the... um. Because she is wearing, like, her same freaking wig from the film and every, you know. Um, so, so, so is Paul Rubens. So is Paul Rubens, to be honest. Like, they, they just made him look like like his Puffy the Vampire Slayer character. Wesley so. Snipes is even wearing the, the, the shades. The thing is, is that every everybody is is kind of just, you know, 
being being awesome. Uh, and well, although, if you told me that any of these actors were actually vampires, I'd probably believe you because, despite ha- being you know years and years away from the from from their first go around, Paul Rubens and Danny Trejo hasn't really aged that much since. Yeah. Um, well, Tilda Swinton has already admitted that she's just from the same planet as David Bowie, so you know she she gets a pass on whatever. the The funny thing is, is that this starts a long line of jokes of just referencing pe- their movies. <laughs> people, people, people who have played vampires and other things showing up and and being you know hilarious um we also in this same episode just get dave batista for no real reason just you know hanging out it it Uh, goes into the the running gag of the episode apparently uh laszlo is already uh unfavored by the vampire council because he turned a baby into a vampire and and Dave Batista has his his character has caught the uh the flack for that. Yeah, so he's that been, he he's he's been he's been uh imprisoned for that crime for like a hundred years. years or something so by yeah, that point. It, it, it kind of you know um so at the beginning of the episode when when we get that fact, he says you know it's it's you know that that kid must be 90 that baby must be 90 years old by now then we find out that batiste has been in in jail by the vampire council for 90 years and the cap off is we find out that another member of the vampire council is this baby the other the other kind of big uh person that we we get in here that is not necessarily uh a vampire joke is we get uh Kristen Shaw in here as the guide who is basically like a main character by the later seasons like she might as well just be in the main credits by season 4 she's in basically every episode so this is her first appearance when she shows up and is like, you've been summoned by the Vampire Council. I had forgotten she had appeared this early in the series, to be honest, because I'm just so used to seeing her now. I was like, oh, you know, she she obviously showed up later on. Like, no, she's first season. But uh, the guide has such a great uh, character arc as well. Yeah, the the idea of this this whole interesting vampire council of just these really cool people from all these other <laughs> things, which kind of just suggests that within this world, all other vampire media both exists and is accurate. They're documentaries. <laughs> yeah, that they're all just documentaries. <laughs> Except for or maybe also Interview with a Vampire. Well, they mentioned 
Brad and Tom. Yeah, they mentioned Brad and Tom as being potential members of the Vampire Council, but they also mentioned Antonio Banderas as an actor and Interview with the Vampire as a movie. So I'm not entirely sure how this works, but it is a funny thing to to try to make gel in your brain. The scene of all of the the vampire council trying to figure out what to do with our main vampires is hilarious because they're like, were you going to kill the bear? And they're like, well, we talked about it, but then we decided not to do it. They're like, well, how did he die? They're like, don't talk. Nobody saw us do it. And then the Baron's familiar comes in. They're like, oh, good. She never talks. And then she just starts giving this long speech. And they're like, wait, she can talk? (laughs) We've never heard her speak. (laughs) Because it just shows how little they pay attention to familiars because they've never spoken to her or heard her speak until that point. And and it goes hand in hand with how familiars are treated, at least in in this first season. You know, this is the we see the familiars of the other members of the council. One of them, like we like we mentioned, was you know the seventy year old man. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering who the seventy year old man is familiar of. Probably yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because he would have to be a familiar of somebody on the Vampire Council. Yeah. You know, so it's just the wonder who. The thing is, though, is that eventually they bring Guillermo in to testify and Guillermo tells the truth. It was him that killed the Baron. It was an accident. You know, it's it's the truth. He he accidentally opened the door and killed the Baron. And nobody believes him because he's just a familiar yeah, you can't kill, you know, Baron FNS the Undying because you're just a familiar. And the problem is that everybody's like, well, you know what? We don't really feel like killing other vampires. And there is a familiar here and he looks kind of tasty. Everybody just want to have a snack and we can just call it quits. I mean... Nobody really wants to kill another vampire, right? That's and none of them really liked the Baron anyway. Yeah, nobody liked the Baron anyway. It was kind of weird and gross. And yeah, let's let's just say that the familiar did it, even though nobody really believes the familiar did. We'll we'll just have a snack and we'll you know. And the interesting thing is that Nadja and Laszlo are like, yeah, eat the familiar. But it's Nandor who can't go along with that and so nandor takes the blame and says hey the three of us we killed him yeah totally we pushed him into the sunlight roasted him alive yep and there we go but you know and it 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 just shows that nandor does have some feelings for for guillermo yeah well well he can't he doesn't want to use <coughs> the word friend he definitely cares for him in some capacity that he's willing to to die, to get roasted alive in the sun, just like an interview with the vampire, for Guillermo to live. And that's that's what they decide. They're like, well, you admitted to it. We were going to let you go, you know? But, oh well. Uh, the interesting thing, the thing we haven't mentioned is that Colin Robinson is on the Vampire Council. <laughs> yeah. And he does nothing. 
he he does nothing. He says nothing. He's like, no, I'm just gonna go along with the group. Seems easiest, you know, whatever. Kyle didn't help us. What the what do you want me to do? Yeah. Um, even, even if he voted against killing them, it's still one vote versus everyone else saying yes. Yeah. Because uh, everybody voted against them, including the baby. They're all going to be shoved out in the sun, except Guillermo, who's going to, you know, they're going to, somebody's going to eat him, I think. The thing is, is that they're, you know, the vampires try to escape, but they're all rather incompetent. Gar- they, try to, they, they try to grab weapons off the wall, but they're bolted to the wall. Yeah, they're just there for show. But the thing is, is that Guillermo's accidental superpower, you know, that he doesn't yet know why at this point in the in the season is he accidentally in, ends up uh, killing his captors. Yeah, he's, he's carries. We find out that he has a crucifix that he wears around his neck. This, I believe this is the first time. This is for them I've seen it in the episodes that I've seen. Maybe I didn't notice it. But he pulls out this crucifix, which scares the vampire, and he backs into one of the weapons on the wall, killing him. Well, he's he's Mexican, and he was raised a good little Catholic boy, and, you know, his, you know probably his grandma gave it to him or something. Probably. Um, but... Plus, he works for a vampire, and I guess that's kind of insurance. Yeah, maybe, maybe he keeps it around for that. We don't know. But he accidentally ends up killing his his two captors and escaping. And as the as the sun is coming up and going to kill the the vampires, it turns out that uh, Colin Robinson and Guillermo uh, show up with a big umbrella <laughs> and shield them from the sun. In the the well they're trapped in. And uh, I love the fact that, that Colin takes the opportunity to just get a little bit of energy from yeah, the he, tree. Yeah, he, tell, he tells them a story about how he's going to to return the umbrella after he's done using it. Uh, the return policies for the hardware store and stuff like that. But I, I love the I love the little the little after credit sequence where you find out that they've just left the camera crew trapped in the well. Um, there are times throughout the series where we do see various things that happen to the the people filming the series, and it's never the good. Baron uh, uh, instantly uh, you know seeing the camera eats crew. one of, eats one of the sound people. So the, sound, um, so the sound keeps cutting out for the rest of the episode. Yeah. There there is one episode in a later season where uh the camera crew follows Guillermo into a a house that Guillermo doesn't realize is filled with a vampire family. And they just you know wander into the house unaware Guillermo and some some other humans and there's an entire just family of vampires and Guillermo ends up being fine because you know Guillermo and uh, the camera crew not so much (laughs) (laughs) so you know there are moments like that throughout the, the series at various points where you are reminded that the camera crew are actual people and it's not 
like you're it's it's not a a third person omniscient view there are actual real humans following them around as a documentary crew uh because you are occasionally you know when you when you're watching a tv show you do mentally you know blank out the the camera crew because for most series the camera crew isn't real you know it it's just your viewpoint into the series um and this series has a really good way of reminding you this is a documentary crew they are real people you know within the context of the series that are following these people around and you do occasionally get points where you see the the camera and sound people that are following um around and sometimes they they have a very grisly fate <laughs> just in the course of doing their job and sometimes they get just they might survive but they might get a funny reaction to the th- the camera you know of the like is this really my job why am i doing this they do not pay me enough there there are so many you know that that's kind of the the main uh, plot of the the season is the whole thing with the baron which gets set up and you know there's still stuff about the fallout of having met the Baron in season one that is still coming up in, you know, the most recent season, which as of recording, this is season four. Um, there is supposed to be a season five, so can't wait. There are so many little things that are like running jokes, like Laszlo screaming bat every time he turns into bat form, <laughs> which is one of those things that is a character trait for him. That was just Matt Barry being weird on set. The first time that they were like, okay, you're you're going to turn into a bat, so just, you know, run off camera or whatever and we'll add the effect. He was like, all right, my darling, let us turn into bats. And he ran off, and as he ran off camera, he screamed, bat! And everybody thought it was so funny that they ended up just leaving it in the, the episode. And now every time Laszlo turns into a bat, he screams, bat! And that and became it was, part of part of Jenna's story. Yeah, it, her her trying to turn into a bat. Um, but it was never intended for Laszlo to scream bat every time. It just it happened one time on set and then everybody found it too funny. So he did that. There are all kinds of little little touches that, you know, n- Nadja's absolute hatred of witches. Which I don't really think came up. There, there are jokes about Nandor ke- keeps talking about witches stealing his semen, <laughs> which becomes such an absolute overbearing running gag throughout the series of both Nadja's hatred of witches and uh, Nandor being obsessed with uh, witches are going to come steal his semen. <laughs> Um, and eventually, you know, there's whole episodes about it. You know, some of some of these things that are just you think are like, why why have they repeated this joke more than once? And then next season, it becomes like a why is there a whole episode about this thing that I thought was just a passing joke? Um, and sometimes it was they were planting 
a specific, you know, plot point. And sometimes it was just somebody said something on set that they found too funny. Kyvan Novak is a really good impressionist. There is one episode in one season where he does impressions of all the other cast members uh, as part of a thing that happens. And that becomes just a hilarious thing. It it becomes like a, you know, like Nandor trying to pick up a woman and he starts trying to do it as Laszlo because it's like the most successful man he knows with women. <laughs> so then it becomes like Nandor as Laszlo with like, oh, so. So let's, let's ask the question, Kiki, does what we do in the shadows have the magic? Uh, I mean, it, I think it's obvious that I think so. The, these early episodes are not even beginning to scratch the surface of the magic that this show has. It gets so deep and complex. And eventually it's like, why am I laughing while crying and wanting to hug a teddy bear? And, you know, yeah. Honestly, as a first time viewer, I'm going to say it does. I liked it. Uh, when I have some spare time, I'll, I'll go through the rest of the series. I'm really interested in where this thing goes. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I, I I'm, I'm team Guillermo at this point. <laughs> I want to see where, where where this goes. So let's let's move on to next week as we finally are discussing about a Halloween tradition. Because there's one thing that we all look forward to every Halloween, no matter how cynical we feel, no matter how much we feel that it's past its prime. We can always look forward to the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. Yay! Regardless of how you feel about the state of current Simpsons, you can always guarantee that the Treehouse of Horror episode is going to be one that you need to watch. And uh, so come back next week as we go through the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye! If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.